like I was saying, we are so blessed tonight because we have with us joining tonight a wonderful author and guest speaker. In fact, she's written some books that we have available. She's written Raising Kids with Good Manners, which is great to have around the holidays when you have to take your little ones to your in-law's house and <laughs> you want to make sure they have their best foot forward. Um, she's also written a book called Seek, and uh, it's available at Lifeway, and um, we also have it here tonight. And it's for it's a book geared for women who just want to seek the Lord, draw closer to him, maybe have some answers that you just need help with. And it shows you how to search the scriptures for those difficult answers and questions that we can all have at our heart sometimes. And then her husband has also written Facing Goliath. Her husband is a, a wonderful um, teacher at Biola, professor at Biola. In fact, my husband had him and absolutely loved him, and I sat in in front of his classes as well, and he was great. And so we are so delighted tonight, and will you please join me with a warm welcome to invite our guest speaker tonight, Miss Donna Jones. Thank you so Thank you, Corey. Well, it is so good to be with you tonight. This is round two of a three-night event, and last night was fabulous, and tonight has been fabulous as well um, with all the elements. You know, with the holidays, each holiday has its own characteristics. Um, Halloween is all about the costumes, and Thanksgiving is all about the food, right? If you said anything other than food, what are you thinking? <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. It's all about the food. But Christmas is really all about the gifts, right? I mean, if we could just total up the amount of effort and energy we expend thinking about the gifts, um, purchasing the gifts, wrapping the gifts, sending the gifts, exchanging the gifts, returning the gifts. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling when you really stop to think about how much energy we put into the gifts at Christmas. And so tonight what we're going to talk about is unexpected gifts. Because you see, all of us have two kinds of gifts. We have expected gifts and we have unexpected gifts. I mean, the expected gifts are the things you kind of, you know, you can pretty much count on giving. It's the Christmas PJs that you open every Christmas Eve or your kids open every Christmas Eve. It's that um, handmade craft that one of your elementary school age kids makes you in school every year. I mean, there's things that you kind of expect, but it's my contention that sometimes it's the unexpected gifts that have the potential for bringing us the most joy. Now, it's interesting. If you would ask a child, um, you know, what, what gifts would you like for Christmas? Generally, children they have a ready answer for what they want for Christmas, right? I mean, I want this, 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 and this. But ask a woman what she wants for Christmas, and typically we will say something like, oh, whatever. You know, anything's fine. Oh, I don't even need anything. Don't even get me anything. I have everything I need, you know. Or my mom's favorite is, you kids are all I need. <laughs> In fact, <clears throat> excuse me, I was on the phone today with my mom about three hours ago. Mom, what in the world am I going to get dad for Christmas? And she said, Donna, honey, you know your dad doesn't need a thing. I said, I know he doesn't need a thing, but I still have to get him something for Christmas. So I said, you have got to put your thinking cap on. I need help with this Christmas gift thing. See, we have, um, we have trouble sometimes as women expressing 
are expected gifts. But that doesn't necessarily mean we don't have expected gifts. We do. They just don't come packaged with ribbons and bows and wrapping paper. See, our gifts come packaged in things like experiences or relationships or memories or moments. See, these are the gifts that we expect as women. And if you don't believe me, just think about the lyrics of Christmas carols. Now, how many of you have already started listening to Christmas carols on, the, on your radio in your, in your car? Yeah, it's hard for me to see, but it looks like almost everybody. And if you aren't listening to Christmas carols in your car, then at least you've heard them at Target or Walmart or the grocery store or the mall because they're everywhere. And I love Christmas carols, but Christmas carols, if we listen to the lyrics, they really give us an insight into what we expect at Christmas time. Consider, for example, the song Winter Wonderland. Now, you're familiar, I'm sure, with that, um, with those lyrics. It says, sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight, walking in a winter wonderland. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we've made walking in a winter wonderland. Now, what images does this conjure up in your mind? It, it, it's snow, right? It's cold. It's, it's snowy. And the snow is pristine. I mean, it doesn't have any of those muddy boot prints in the snow. No, this is white, pristine snow. And, you know, it's, it's a couple just walking through the winter wonderland. And they have so much time and, to actually sit by the fire and conspire during the holidays. And we think, wow, that would be just awesome. And really, though, in our minds, we kind of expect a winter wonderland, which is why we say things like, gosh, it's 90 degrees outside. I just, it, I just can't get into the holiday spirit. Or, or if it's like today, it's, oh, it's cold. Oh, I love it because it makes me feel like Christmas, right? Why? Where do we get that idea? Winter wonderland. Winter wonderland. See, we, we have this notion that Christmas is have to, supposed to have this certain feel to it. And the feel that it's supposed to have is the winter wonderland. And it, not only is it to have a, a certain feel, it needs to have a certain look. You know, the winter wonderland is the, the, the snow and the atmosphere and a look to it, which is why we spend so much time and energy trying to create the winter wonderland for our families and our homes. Um, a few years ago, about 10 years ago, as a matter of fact, we went to the very time-honored, very traditional place that you, people get Christmas trees, Home Depot. And... <laughs> That's where we go every year. We used to cut down our Christmas tree, but we moved to Orange County about 15 years ago and there was no place to cut down a Christmas tree. So we completely flip-flopped and went from cutting down our Christmas tree to picking out a Christmas tree at Home Depot. So about 10 years ago, true to form, we pulled into the parking lot of Home Depot. My husband, we have three kids, and we all tumbled out of our, our car and we headed into the Christmas tree lot at Home Depot. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye, there was a couple that was already there, a woman and her, and her husband, and they were doing what we were doing. They were picking out Christmas trees. And her husband was holding a Christmas tree like this, and the woman was walking around it like we women do, looking it up and down. And then I watched as she went, no. I thought, okay, you know, we all, we all do that. So her husband picked up an, another Christmas tree, and she walked around that, and she looked up and down, and she went, no. Well, I, that was kind of at you know, the corner of my eye. And so our family went 
uh, and proceeded to pick out our Christmas tree. And we looked at a few and decided on the one that you know, would be best in our home. And so we picked out our Christmas tree. We stood in line with the throngs of people who had also picked out their Christmas tree. We waited for our turn where they lop off the, the end of the Christmas tree and get the branches all trimmed off. Then we stood in line and we paid for our Christmas tree. And then we waited while they bound our Christmas tree up and they put it on top of our SUV. Then we all got back in our car and we headed out of the parking lot. Well, as we were exiting the parking lot of Home Depot, I just happened to look back over my shoulder. And when I looked back over my shoulder, I saw that same woman. Her husband had yet another Christmas tree. She was walking around it. And the last thing I saw as we exited Home Depot was her doing this. And I thought in my mind, what would cause a normally sane woman to do something like this? I mean, we had gotten out of our car, picked out our Christmas tree, paid for our Christmas tree, had our Christmas tree trimmed, had our Christmas tree put on our car, and we're leaving Home Depot, and she still had not picked out a Christmas tree. Do you know what causes women, normally sane women, to do things like that? Winter wonderland. Winter Wonderland. And in her mind, her Winter Wonderland required a perfect Christmas tree. And so she was searching for the Winter Wonderland experience in her Christmas tree. Now, interestingly, I thought to myself, as I saw her shake her head, I thought, well, thank goodness that's not me. I mean, I, I, I want a nice Christmas tree as much as anybody does. But I mean, come on, I'm not like that. Well, fast forward about an hour. We're home, and, you know, I, we, we take the Christmas tree out, and my husband gets it put up in the stand. Of course, there's needles all over the house, and, you know, the boxes are all out, and we're putting the lights on the Christmas tree, and I've got apple cider on the stove, and I'm thinking, you know, making me maybe hot chocolate, and I'm thinking, we'll put Christmas carols on, and I'll build a fire, and all my children will help us put the ornaments on miraculously exactly where I want them placed. But you know what was happening? One of my kids said, okay, well, we got the Christmas tree. I think I'm going to go over to my friend's house. Another one flipped on the television and started watching a television show, and the other one was texting their friend. And I'm looking around going, well, this isn't, this isn't what I envisioned. And then I started feeling bothered, and I started feeling disappointed, and I said, Come on, people! Do you not know? We're supposed to sit by the fire and conspire. I mean, <laughs> and see, what I realized, it was like the Lord, just, the Lord just spoke to me. And he said, Donna, you are just like that woman at Home Depot. And I said, no, Lord, I'm really not like her. And he said, yes, you are. Maybe it's not the Christmas tree that you have expectations for, but it's the experience that you have expectations for. You want the winter wonderland just as much as anybody. And here's what was happening. I was sacrificing the enjoyment of what is on the altar of the expectation for what I wished could be. And that's what we do. We have in our minds what we really wish something would be like, a certain feel, a certain look. You know, we want our house a certain way. We want our Christmas cards to turn out a certain way. We, 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 you know, we want whatever we wear to these Christmas teas to look a certain way. I mean, we have all kinds of expectations on ourselves, and, and our expectations are here, but oftentimes reality is here. 
And because our reality doesn't meet our expectation, see, this is the gift we want. Make no mistake, it may not come wrapped in a package, but this is the gift we want. This is the gift we expect. When we get this instead, we're disappointed. We're frustrated. We might even get angry. And then in the process of trying to create this winter wonderland experience, everyone's going, well, why is she such a bah humbug? It's because we haven't accepted the gift that we've been given. You see, that Christmas, when the Lord spoke to me and said, you are just like that woman at Home Depot. Do you know what that was? I got an unexpected gift. An unexpected gift because it opened my eyes to the very things that diminish my capacity to enjoy Christmas. And that happened 10 years ago. And do you know that every single Christmas, I think about that woman at Home Depot. Every Christmas. Do you know why I think about her? Because every Christmas, I become dangerously close to being her. (laughs) But... Because the Lord gave me an unexpected gift in the visual image I got of her at Home Depot, I'm reminded, I'm reminded, don't don't sacrifice the enjoyment for what is in your life on the altar of the expectations for what you wish could be. You see, we have gifts that we expect, but sometimes the better gift is the unexpected gift. And sometimes the unexpected gift sheds light on our own souls. It sheds light on our own souls. Well, there's a second expected gift that we we long for. And that's embodied in the song, Oh, There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays. And you're familiar with that song, Oh, There's No Place Like Home for the Holidays. Because no matter how far away you roam, when you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze, for the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home. Wow, this one runs deep. This one runs deep. Because this one feeds into our need for relationship. And not just any relationship, family relationship. And not just any family relationship, healthy, positive, happy family relationships. And our expectation is here. And when our reality is here, that's a pretty wide gap. And it can be a pretty painful gap. Some of us in this room are struggling. This is a hard Christmas for us because maybe we have this idea in our mind that it's the Christmas season and this this home for the holiday expectation is rambling around in our brain. And maybe we we just feel this, um, just a a sense of like kind of just down or like something's not right and we can't can't put our fingers on it, but if we trace it back, it could come down, down to this issue. Maybe maybe there's a loved one that is no longer present this holiday. And the grief is fresh because it's Christmas. And the reason the grief is even more fresh is because the no place like home for the holidays concept at Christmas. Or or maybe we're going through um, a a difficult marriage, a separation. Maybe maybe it's not our marriage. Maybe it's... a family member's marriage, or, or maybe somebody in our family is just far away and can't be with us. There's any number of situations where this starts to eat into our soul. And the gift that we expect is not the gift that we get. And we can end up really disillusioned at Christmas. And sure, we put on a happy face and say, Merry Christmas. But inside, 
there's something in the pit of our stomach. And it's deeper than any other time of the year. And it's interesting, we, we don't just want people to be present, we want people to be present with happy faces and happy attitudes and you know everybody getting along with everybody, right? And even when everyone's present, if everybody's not present with the right attitude, I mean, it, it, can, it can diminish our experience. When my husband and I were first married, the first several years of our marriage, we would go and spend some of the holidays with <clears throat> an extended family member. And they were part of a, you know, extended family. We wouldn't stay at their house, but they would be part of the group that would stay at the, at the house of, of, you know, our, our extended family. And this particular family member was the most difficult person that I may have ever been around. I mean, they were critical and sarcastic and negative. And it would just be very difficult to be with this person, not only hour by hour, but day after day after day. And to be really candid with you, this person was so difficult to be around that when JP and I would get back in our car after spending several days in this person's presence, we would literally need to just debrief for an hour being with this person. You know what I mean? You get alone and it's like, whoo, whoa, you know. Would, would that, that, that happen with you? Well, let me tell you what happened with me. You know, and it was, we would kind of debrief it, right? Well, one Christmas, we were getting ready to go spend time with this person. We were putting all our packages in the car. And I remember thinking, okay, Donna, you are a Christian. You're, you're a Christ follower. And that means something. That means that that should translate in the way you treat people or the way you perceive people. It should translate into how you deal with circumstances. And I started thinking about this. And so I just prayed a simple prayer. It was truly, it was about the only prayer I could offer up. And all I prayed as we put our packages in the car and we're about to head up to see this person, I just said, God, would you please just give me your eyes to see this person the way you see them? That's all I prayed. Well, we headed to their home and true to form, this person was as negative and critical and bitter and sarcastic as ever. Nothing had changed. And it was okay on day one and it was tolerable on day two, but by day three, it was hard to take. And so one afternoon, I decided I was going to go on a walk in the neighborhood. And so I put my jacket on, putting my mittens on, and about to go out the door. And this person said, oh, are you, are you going on a walk? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, wait a minute, and I'll go with you. And I thought, really? Because the gift I really wanted right now was the gift of a little space from you. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. I feel terrible even admitting that. But that was what was going on in my mind, if I could just be completely real with you. So I, but you can't say that. So you say, okay, you know, with a smile on your face. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be the longest hour of my life. Well, we start walking. And as we're walking, it's just the two of us. And this person starts talking. And pretty soon they're talking about their life history and their background and where they grew up and how they grew up and their family of origin and, and they're talking more. And as this person's talking, I, I'm thinking, I think they're telling me things they've never told anyone else. 
I think this person's opening up to me in a way that none of the other family members know. And as this person continued talking to me, telling me about their background, I realized, well, no wonder, no wonder they are like they are. Of course, it's all they've ever known. It's all they've ever known. And in that moment, my eyes were opened and I really understood why that person was the way they were. And you know what the interesting thing was? Literally, my heart became like butter. It melted. It melted for this person. I, I, I was able to gain compassion for them, and I, I genuinely, genuinely began to love this person. That day, that walk, that hour, that was literally a game changer in our relationship, and it has never been the same, because from that moment on, I have been nothing but filled with love for that person from the depths of my heart. And that person did not change. I did. And I did because God gave me an unexpected gift. And honestly, it wasn't even a gift I really wanted. You know what I mean? Sometimes gifts come wrapped in packages in disguise. And we think, well, this is not the gift I want. And we, we kind of wish that, you know, when God, would give it, God gives us an unexpected gift, it's like... Gosh, I hope this has the same return policy as Nordstrom. Because they'll take back anything, right? And we're thinking, Lord, do you have the same return policy as Nordstrom? And, you know, but God knows better than we know what we really need, the gifts that we really need. And he gave me, he gave me an unexpected gift. He answered my prayer. And he opened my eyes. I don't know what unexpected gift God wants to give you relationally this Christmas season. But I can tell you this, he wants to give you one. But sometimes his unexpected gifts, they come wrapped as gifts in disguise. The question is, will we recognize a gift, an unexpected gift, when God tries to give it to us, even if it's packaged as a gift in disguise? Well, there's a third Christmas carol that really tells us about the gifts that we expect at Christmas. And that Santa Claus is coming to town. And you know the lyrics to that song, oh, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why, because Santa Claus is coming to town. And he's making his list, he's checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice, Santa Claus is coming to town. And the whole, the whole image that we get wrapped up in is this obsession with gifts in and, 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 and a... Um, Sometimes in not a, a healthy way. It, it, it works itself like, out like this. You know, good girls get good gifts. Bad girls get vacuum cleaners. Right? I mean, you know, and you can look at your girlfriend, you know, something that she got, and you're like, wow. Okay, well, how come my family didn't think to get me that? You know, I got the vacuum cleaner. She got the whatever. You fill in the blank. And so... Why does that bother us so much? Because we expect Santa Claus to come to town. We really do. And we expect, you know, we, 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 have, we say we don't have expectations, but we do. We expect certain gifts. And we, you know, we, we spend so much time, I, I want to give the certain gift. I, I want to, I, I want to, I don't want to underspend. I don't want to overspend. You know, we, 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 we put pressure on ourselves in this way. Our very first year of marriage, 
we did not have two dimes to rub together. JP and I worked our first year. My husband's a senior pastor now, and he, he's on the adjunct faculty at Biola University. But our first year of marriage, we worked for um, a missions organization, uh, organization, a nonprofit missions organization. When we, we worked so many hours, I mean, between the two of us, we worked our fannies off, but we made nothing. And on a, on a good month, we just, we just put food on the table and barely made it through the month. Well, Christmas time came, and Christmas has all kinds of extra expenses. And we kind of wondered what we were going to do. Well, it was about, it was the first week of December, and I looked at my husband, and I said, okay, when are we going to get our Christmas tree? And my husband said to me, Christmas tree? Honey, I hate to tell you this, but we just don't have money for a Christmas tree. Now, you have to understand, I came from a family where Christmas was an event, I mean, my mom was like Martha Stewart if Martha Stewart moved from the East Coast to Southern California. It was an event. So when my husband said to me, sweetheart, we don't have money for a Christmas tree, I, it was almost like it didn't compute. I thought, you're speaking Chinese right now. I, I don't even get it. Uh, we're Americans. Americans get Christmas trees. It's like a done deal, right? That was how I, that's really truly how I viewed it. He, he, he was rational to me. He said, sweetheart, we're not even spending Christmas morning here. We're going to your parents for Christmas. What does it matter if we have a Christmas tree? But here's the thing about expectations. Expectations are never logical. They are always emotional. His, his rationale made perfect sense. But see, expectations, they come from, they come from here. They don't come from here. And so I, I, he could see that I was disappointed, and my husband is so kind that he said, okay, then here's what we'll do. Let's just cut back. We'll, we'll cut back on groceries. We started digging through pockets of coats to see if we could find spare change. I mean, and we came up with $20, and he said, if Donna, if you can get a tree for $20, then, honey, we can get a Christmas tree. Well, I went down, and I found a great tree for $19.99, and I was thrilled. And I even had ornaments because my mother... Miss Martha Stewart, who had been transplanted to Southern California, had given us ornaments the summer we got married. So I had the ornaments for it and everything. So, so I st we decorated the Christmas tree. I was so thrilled with this Christmas tree. And I stood back and I looked at it with my husband. And my heart was filled with joy until I looked under the Christmas tree and I realized a Christmas tree needs something to go underneath it. And those things that need to go underneath it cost money. And if we didn't have $20 for a Christmas tree, believe me, we didn't have one extra dollar for something to go under the Christmas tree. And so what did I do? I did what most women do. I started worrying. And I would go to bed at night and I would think, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Lord, okay, show us. I mean, how, how can I earn extra money? How are we, what are we going to do? How can we cut back? What do we, you know, because you can't very well go to your family's home and they have presents for you and you just look at them and say, well, sorry, we don't have any presents for you because we just didn't have money. You know, you just, you just can't say that. At least I, I didn't think I could. And so I started worrying. And one afternoon, just a few days later, I received a phone call. And the words on the other end of the line were like gold to me because the person on the other end of the line said, hello, 
this is so-and-so from such-and-such timeshare. And this Christmas season, we're giving $125 cash to any couple who will sit through a simple 90-minute timeshare presentation. And I was like, cash. So I said, sign us up. Well, JP came home and I said, guess what we're doing on Saturday? And so on Saturday, we, we, uh, we headed down to our timeshare presentation. We sat politely through our little 90 minutes. We listened and of course we politely declined. We took our $125 cash. We got back in my husband's old green Omni car and we didn't even turn on the ignition. He just sat there and I sat there with my $125 and we looked at each other and we went, we're rich. We're so rich. Well, the next day I went Christmas shopping and with $125, I purchased my mother's gift, my father's gift, my sister's gift, my brother's gift, my mother-in-law's gift, my brother-in-law's gift, my sister-in-law's gift, my brother-in-law's gift, um, my, and my three nieces and nephews gift. I hope I said all that right. But all those people for $125. And let me just tell you, I was so excited about these purchases. So I headed home from the store, and I couldn't wait to show JP what I had gotten. I wanted to just lay it all out before him and, show, you know, showed him how, how I just, the Lord had provided, and I just scored with this. And so um, I, I pulled into the driveway, and I knew he was home because his car was in the driveway. So I walked in the door, but the house was completely quiet, completely silent. And I thought, well, where is he? Now, at the time, we lived in this teeny, tiny, little rental house, and it was, it was just very small, but it did have a secondary bedroom kind of off the back, and I noticed that door was almost shut, almost, because the house was so old that none of the doors shut all the way. But I saw that door, and I thought, well, he must be back there. So I, I made my way back to that door, and the, there was a crack in the door about, about this big. And I peeked in. I thought, well, what is he doing? Why is the door shut back here? And I peeked in. And when I looked through that crack, there was my husband. And he had a table right in front of him. And on the table in front of him, he had a little heart-shaped wooden chalkboard. And beside the heart-shaped wooden chalkboard, on the right, he had a little bottle of, of a paint and a paintbrush. And on this side, he had a little bottle of wood glue and some wooden letters. And I thought, well, what is he, what is he doing? He, he's not artistic. He, he doesn't make stuff. And I, I watched my husband as he took his big athletic hands, masculine hands, and he took the paint, paintbrush and he dipped it in the paint and he just painstakingly painted around this little heart. And then he put the paintbrush down and then he took the glue and he took the the little letters, and he, he put them on his finger, and he just was careful to try to get these letters just so on this chalkboard. And I stood there, and I watched him, and I realized, he's making my Christmas gift. Well, I stood there for probably 10 minutes, and then I backed away. I never said a word. He never knew I saw Christmas Eve came, and we loaded our little car with all of our meager gifts for my family, and we headed to my mom and dad's for Christmas. 
And of course, we pulled up, and there was lights on the house, and we opened the door, and the smell of food, and the fire, and the music, and the laughter, and we took our little presents, and we put them under the Christmas tree, and we joined in the festivities, and the next morning, Christmas morning, we got up, and we started opening our Christmas presents. And we were all seated around the Christmas tree in our, in our jammies with our coffee and our Christmas pastry. And we were opening the presents. And in our family, we opened presents one by one. So every single person can ooh and ah over every single gift. And I'm telling you, it's an event. And, um, and we start with the small gifts, the less expensive gifts. And we kind of build up to the nicer gifts. And the last gift to be open every Christmas morning was always my dad's gift to my mom because that was the big gift. That was the grand finale gift. So we're opening presents and we're drinking our coffee and chatting and you know, open, having, having a wonderful Christmas morning. And then the presents began to be less and less. And as the presents started to diminish, something dawned on me that I hadn't thought of before. And I looked at the few presents left and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm the only married sibling. That means JP's gift to me is going to be second to last, only to be followed by my father's grand finale gift to my mom. And I thought, oh, how are my parents going to respond? Because I knew what was in that box and I knew it didn't cost more than $2 thought, what are they going to do? So finally, there were two gifts left. And my dad said, okay, Donna, it's time for you to open JP's gift to you. My dad walked over to the tree and he got JP's gift and he put it on my lap. And all the family was looking at me, waiting to see what JP had gotten Donna on their first Christmas. And I unwrapped the paper and I took the lid off the box And then I held up this little homemade wooden chalkboard. And JP said, I made that myself, as if it wasn't totally obvious that he had made it himself. And my dad said, you made that yourself? And he goes, yeah, I've never made anything in my life. And my mom said, you made that yourself? And he goes, yeah, I made that myself. And my mom and dad, they locked eyes and in unison, They jumped to their feet and they began applauding JP. And then my brother and sister jumped to their feet and they began applauding JP. And my entire family gave JP a standing ovation over that gift. And they were clapping and they were smiling. And I was the only person, I was still seated on the the couch and I was watching the faces of my family as they were smiling and clapping and talking about, he made that himself. And that is such a great gift. Isn't that an awesome gift that JP gave Donna? And they were smiling and I was looking at their faces and listening to their words. And I thought to myself, they get it. They get it. I didn't know if they would they get it. You see, I was the recipient of an unexpected gift. Not just the gift of the heart-shaped wooden chalkboard. The gift of the realization that what that heart-shaped wooden chalkboard really was, was a gift of love. That's what the gift was. It was a gift of love. And that's what my family was able to see. See, so often, God wants to give us, he wants to give us gifts in disguise. 
He wants to give us unexpected gifts, and sometimes they come wrapped in very unexpected ways. They come wrapped in shapes like heart-shaped wooden chalkboards that only cost $2. But what they really are is gifts of love. And sometimes we need other people to help open our eyes to see when we're getting an unexpected gift. There's another Christmas carol, final Christmas carol, that tells us about the expectations that we have, and that's Silent Night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And this conjures up the expectation of peace, of tranquility, peace in the world, peace on earth, peace in our community, peace in our workplace, peace in our homes, peace in our own souls. That's what we want. That's the gift we expect. And yet, if we think about that first, that first Christmas, it's safe to say probably the events surrounding it were nothing that they expected. Nothing. I love the story, the true story, of how Mary finds out she is to be the recipient of an unexpected gift. I love this story not only because it tells us about how the Messiah was to be born, but it also tells us how we can tell if we are about to be the recipient of an unexpected gift. In, Matthew, or in Luke chapter 1, the angel comes to Mary, and he says to Mary, Mary, greetings. You are highly favored. And he says, you will become pregnant. You will give birth to a son. And it says in the scriptures, Mary, Mary was greatly troubled at this, and, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And then it says, and the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. And then it says that Mary said, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the, the son born to you will be called the son of the most high. And he will, he will have his throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will never end. And then Mary says to the angel, okay, wow, this is not at all what I expected but I'm your servant, be it done unto me as you have said. I love this because do you know how you can know if you are about to be the recipient of an unexpected gift? Oftentimes, it will conjure up emotions. Something will happen in your life, a circumstance, an event, an unfulfilled expectation, an unforeseen circumstance, and it will conjure up emotions. You see, when the angel came to Mary and he said to her, greetings, you are highly favored. Her immediate response was she was greatly troubled. Her immediate response was she wondered, she was confused. Her immediate response was she was afraid. And we know that because the angel said, Mary, don't be afraid. You see, she was about to get an un unexpected gift, and so it conjured up emotions, and sometimes we can, we can be attuned to the fact that we are about to get an unexpected gift when our emotions run high. 
that's the time we need to open our eyes and say, Lord, am I about to be the recipient of an unexpected gift? But we can learn something else from Mary. She was responsive to the unreceptive, uh, unexpected gift. The angel said to her, you're going to become pregnant. You're a virgin. And this is going to be confusing. And she said, okay, I'm in. Are you able to identify when God's trying to give you an unexpected gift? Are you willing to receive it when God gives you an unexpected gift? You know, there's, um, it's just interesting when you think about that first Christmas. Because here Mary was, she'd said, okay. And so she goes through her pregnancy. History tells us that she was a young teenager. I heard last week that she was perhaps as young as 12. Now, let your mind wrap around that for a minute. 12, 13, 14 years of age. Wrap your mind around that for a moment. And this young girl, unmarried, was going to be pregnant in a Middle Eastern country 2,000 years ago. Think what it would be like to be an unmarried woman in a Middle Eastern country today. Now, backtrack 2,000 years. That was her situation. And yet, in obedience, she submitted. And so she finds herself pregnant, engaged to be married to Joseph. And in her ninth month, something happens. Her government calls for a census to be taken. Talk about the most inconvenient time for a census to be taken. Because 2,000 years ago, you didn't go online and register yourself. You didn't phone call it in. You didn't mail a letter. They didn't knock at your door. You had to travel to your ancestral hometown. She had to go at nine months pregnant from her, her hometown of Nazareth to the town of Bethlehem. And she didn't have her SUV with her heated seats to take her there or her air conditioning. No, she traveled on an animal. Nine months pregnant on an animal, a young girl traveling to Bethlehem. She and Joseph can't go fast. Her condition prohibits it. But everybody else is traveling as well because everyone else has to go register for the census at their hometown. And so it probably looked a lot like what our freeways look the night before Thanksgiving. I mean, everybody's going somewhere, right? Only everybody else is passing them because nobody else is nine months pregnant. So they go slowly, trying to navigate the bumpy, unpaved roads in her condition. And they finally reached Bethlehem, and you know they breathed a sigh of relief. (sighs) We're here. And so they start knocking on the doors. But all the other travelers have beaten them there. And so the response they get is, there's no room here. I'm sorry, we're all full. There's no room for you. And I know they just probably looked at each other and thought, what are we going to do? And finally, one innkeeper took pity on them. And he said, there's no room in my inn. But I tell you what, I have a barn. If you can't find someplace better, you can stay in the barn. And they're so desperate, they take it. (laughs) It's all they have. And so this young couple 
they go to the barn with all of the animals that the other guests have housed and they make themselves comfortable and she goes into labor. And she's away from her mother. She's away from her family. She has only Joseph to hold her hand. And she starts breathing in animal stench as she tries to labor. And in the midst of this situation, God is born. That is how God entered the world. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were God, that's not the way I would do it. I was thinking about this last night as I was driving home. And I thought, God, I wonder if in your mind, in your great sovereignty, you looked down among us and you thought, how can I show these people I love them? How can I best show these people I see them? How can I communicate to these people I identify with them? And God left heaven and took on human form and he was born in a barn so that you and I could never say to God, you don't get it. Because God would look back at us and say, yes, I do. Yes, I do. In the midst of the most imperfect situation, perfection was born. There was another group of people who received an unexpected gift that first Christmas. It was the angels. They were minding their own business. They were just working, tending sheep. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to them and says the most amazing words. Listen as I read from Luke chapter 2. It says this. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. There's that emotion. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all of the people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know what my favorite line out of this is? It's almost, you almost might miss it. It's when the angel says to the shepherds, today a savior has been born for you. A savior is born for you. Not for the whole world, although Jesus was born for the whole world. A savior has been born for you. Do you see how personal God is? Do you see that God entered this world for you? That God left heaven and put on the form of human flesh and was born as, an, as a helpless infant for you to be your savior. Today, the angel said, I bring you really good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For in the city of David this day, a savior has been born for you. When I was in college, 
I had a Jewish friend, a dear, dear Jewish friend. And she knew I was a Christian. And something about Jesus in me, I think, compelled her. And she liked Jesus. She liked Jesus' message of love. She liked Jesus' message of forgiveness. She liked Jesus' message of peace. She liked Jesus' message of hope. She really liked Jesus. And she asked me this great question one day. She said, okay, Donna, I get it. Like, I, I, I get that Jesus came and he lived among us and he was born as a baby, but what I don't get is why did Jesus have to die? She said, frankly, that sounds just a little creepy to me. And I said, you know, that's a great question. Because that baby that was born in the manger that entered the world as a helpless infant, he grew up to be a man. And we don't know very much about him until the age of 30. But his ministry started at the age of 30, and from 30 to 33, when he was crucified on the cross, he changed the world. Now think about that. Three three years. His ministry was only three years. That's 36 months. That's just over 1,200 days. That's all. And he changed the world. Why? Because the day he was crucified on the cross was the day he took all of the sins upon him. And I went to on and explained to her, you know, it's such a great question because Jesus had to die because God is holy. And I don't know about you, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm the woman in Home Depot. <laughs> I, I'm not holy. There's a great separation. And God began to bridge that separation because God is always seeking us. God began to bridge that separation the moment that very first Christmas started. Well, it actually started before that, but, but we could see it in the flesh when Christmas started. God was bridging the separation, coming to us, wooing us back to him. But he finished that the day he died on the cross because that was the day he died on the cross in my place for my sin. That was the day the separation between a holy God and me was bridged. There's a line in that song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, God and sinners reconciled. That was what the cross was all about. That's what the cross is all about. And because God in Jesus died on the cross, we can be reconciled to God. That's what it's all about but it's a gift. And for many of us, it's an unexpected gift. It's a gift sometimes we need other people to open our eyes to see, just like I did. See, if you saw that um, heart-shaped wooden chalkboard, if I put that out in my garage sale, I guarantee you not one woman in this room would offer me a dime for that heart-shaped wooden chalkboard. You would pass it by and you would say, what a piece of junk. This isn't even fit for goodwill. Why doesn't she just throw that in the trash? Because you would not understand the depth of love behind that gift. Do you know how many people go through life and they look at Jesus and they just don't get it? Because they don't understand the gift of love behind it. You see, that is the unexpected gift, the ultimate unexpected gift. And like any gift, It has to be received. See, each one of us, we're going to get this Christmas two kinds of gifts. Gifts we expect and gifts we don't. Expected gifts and unexpected gifts. The question is, 
will we receive the unexpected gift that God has for us? Whether it's something that has to do with the winter wonderland or something that it has to do with no place like home for the holidays or something that has to do with Santa Claus coming to town or something that has to do with Silent Night. But God has for you tonight an unexpected gift. And my prayer for you and for me is that we would be open to receive it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us right now in this room. God with us when we go in our cars to drive home. God with us when we wash our face and put on our pajamas and lay our heads on our pillows tonight. And God with us tomorrow and the next day and the next. That is available to us because you left heaven and came to live among us that first Christmas. God, open our hearts to receive your unexpected gift. In Jesus' holy and powerful and precious name, amen. Probably most of us in this room are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But the verse that follows it is just as powerful. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son into the world to love us and to save us. You know, as I was listening last night and tonight, I thought, you know what? You are exactly the gift God expected. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. And I'd like to invite you tonight to bow your heads with me. And I'd like to give every person here an opportunity in the privacy of this moment to make a decision. The scripture says, choose this day whom you will serve. You know, the scripture says in John 10.10 that... Jesus came to give us life and that life more abundantly. And this peace and this joy that Donna has shared about tonight is yours for the taking. This is your gift to receive. And I would like to invite you to open up your heart to receive this gift of salvation. And if you would like to respond and to come and receive that bridging that gap between us and the Father, you can do that. And we're going to pray tonight together. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come forward, but what I would like to do is have you just acknowledge by letting your eyes meet mine and saying, you know what, Donna and Carol, I would like to receive Jesus as my Savior. I would love to have that gift of salvation tonight. And if that's you, as every head's bowed and eyes are closed, if you'll just look up at me and let your eyes meet mine. If I don't see you, just raise your hand. And uh, we're going to pray to prayer together. So is that what you would like tonight? Okay, yes. Okay, someone else? Is that what you would like? Okay, someone else? 
I'm just going to span across. If I don't see you, let your, lift up your hand so I can see you as I'm looking. In the back, across here towards the middle section. Okay, I'm looking here in the middle section. If I don't see you, just lift up your hand so I can. Anyone here over to my left, your right, is that what you would like tonight? Okay, someone else, is that what you would like? Okay, is that what you would like tonight, to receive Jesus? Okay, awesome. Someone else? Okay, just one more time. If I didn't see you, let's raise your hand and just wave it at me. Let's do this, ladies. For those that are responding tonight, could we pray with them? Just say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I confess that I am a sinner, and I believe that you died and that you rose again, and that you are now seated at the right hand of the Father. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me. And just take a minute, ladies. Just make it right before the Lord. If there's things you need to confess to him, just give it to him. It says, let us reason together, though our sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And let's just finish our prayer by saying, Father, thank you so much that you have received me. I ask you to give me the strength to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Congratulations. This is awesome. <laughs> if you can-